As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. So here we are in the middle of what feels like the longest international break in history. But never mind, we've got a great pod lined up for you today. Our guests this week are the writer of The Athletic, Amy Lawrence, and someone who got a run out a few weeks ago and did such a splendid job. We're having him back. It's Nick Callow. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Stanley. Yeah, nice to see you. Uh, now, I say see you, we're all in separate rooms, but you know what I mean. Uh, now, it's a slightly different pod this week, not just because of the international break, but also because Amy Lawrence has written a really beautiful piece uh, remembering the legend that is David Rocky Rocastle on the anniversary of his death at the criminally young age of 33. In about 10 minutes' time, we'll be joined by the one and only Kevin Campbell to chat about Rocky. Uh, in the meantime, we wanted to uh, ask Amy and Nick about their memories of Rocky and the, maybe their memorable goals. Uh, Amy, I'll start with you. A memorable Rocky goal? Um, I'm going to not choose the one that I know Nick's going to choose. So I'll leave him to his <laughs> moment obvious. of, of I glory. was going to choose it as well, by the way. But OK, <laughs> Nick can have that one. What are you going to choose, Amy? Uh, I'm a bit torn. I... I <laughs> There's there's three that I feel very important. Um, one is the phenomenal chip over Peter Schmeichel at uh, Old Trafford. And it's such a, a wonderful goal because of the way he just shrugs off two of the greatest midfielders of that age. Yes. Brian Robson, I think Paul Ince was the other one, as if they're just school children, uh, toddlers maybe, um, before this immense piece of skill. And it summed up that really special mix he had of his incredible athletic power and his uh, exquisite Brazilian technique and vision. Um, But I really love another sort of lob uh, that was against Aston Villa in a game in 88-89 away from home. Arsenal were really on a good roll trying to get to the top of the league and I think it might have even been that day that they hit top spot more or less and... He scored a, a, a such a peach, and and one of the reasons the goal is especially lovely is that the defender, I think it's Derek Mountfield, ends up tangled in the net, 
which is always a special sight, I think, when a goal goes in. Um, <laughs> yeah, hapless and, defender. Yeah, yeah but, but I think maybe the one that tops them all, and it's a tough contest, is uh, at Anfield, also in that season in 89, but in the League Cup, where he gets the ball on the right-hand side and absolutely hits it with that kind of ferocity that is sort of astonishing and beautiful all at once. A cracking goal from the right-hand side, and it, it felt important because uh, anybody who's ever listened to me for more than about one second knows that I'm obsessed by 1989 generally. And Didn't you make a film about it? Amy? Well, I mean, <laughs> but the point is that, that what happened at the end of that season never happens, I don't think, without what happened in the League Cup in the, in the autumn, which was the first time that this young, hungry Arsenal team went up to play a team as... Uh, imposing and dominant as Liverpool on their patch and sort of presented themselves as if to say, here we are, we're serious. And I think that day Liverpool were like, well, this Arsenal team is something. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful goal to, that had some symbolic value for the future as well. But he's just, you know, there's so much more to Rocky than goals. It feels ridiculous to talk just about goals because the, the man, the, 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 everything he represents... Uh, everything he was is just, uh, well, something beautiful and lovely forever. Yeah, and and when, uh, listener, when you read the article, uh, that really is, uh, um, that that's in there. I, I, we're only just talking about goals right now, just because it's a, they, they are momentary things. And, and the thing you said, Amy, and Nick, I'm sure you'd agree, when he, sh- that goal against Manchester United, when he shrugged off, as you say, shrugged off Paul Ince and then Brian Robson with a bit of skill and then took it forward again and left him on the floor and then an exquisite bit of skill you got that was sort of the essential Rocky right that 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 the power and the and the beauty together absolutely yeah totally pure Rocky I just you know I have got just a terrible memory I can almost barely remember what Arsenal's last match was and I remember I was actually there covering the three all draw (laughs) West Ham so I was just thinking what are my greatest Arsenal moments as a as a fan so I never They'll be at Anfield 89, Copenhagen for the Cup Winners' Cup. But I think my first really amazing Arsenal memory was being squeezed into the Park Lane at White Hart Lane in 1987 for the League Cup semi-final replay against Tottenham when Clive Allen used to score every single match against Arsenal, against everyone that season. And at half-time, Tottenham famously announced to their supporters where they could get tickets for Wembley for the final because they were going to knock us out. And then Clive Allen scored to put them ahead yeah, midway about an hour into into the match, and then we came back. Ian Anderson put the ball into Tottenham's net, and then in the last last minute, Rocky. It was a bit of a scrambled goal. It wasn't by far, wasn't anywhere near his greatest goal in terms of sort of skill or anything sort of that you think of with David Rocastle. But he, the ball came to him, and he was the first to react. And he stabbed it over the line, and I've never known such sort of delirious celebrations amongst Arsenal fans until probably Anfield '89. And for me, when Amy talks about laying the bedrock for future success. It was that League Cup win when beating Liverpool in for 87 that gave that club and the team and those players a belief they could achieve something. And as I remember it, it was also the time where not just Rocky, but Michael Thomas and Niall Quinn and those sort of younger Merce really sort of established themselves as first-team players. So that it was that, that semi-final against Tottenham. It's definitely in my top five Arsenal memories of all time. It's a shame that the League Cup doesn't have quite the significance that it did then, but that's just life and the change in nature of football. But it's just one of those greatest moments that I'll never forget. Rocky, Rocky left us 
None of us will. None of us will. Uh, by the way, both those moments, Manchester United away and uh, Spurs away, uh, the goal was scored in front of the away fans. And I always love those moments when you see the delirium uh, amongst the fans. Um, I, I mean, well, I was going to pick those two, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I also, I had a look uh, online. There was... Um, there was a really uh, beautiful goal, I believe, against Middlesbrough when he beat mm. about five players and uh, and buried it. And uh, it was lovely to see that skill, um, that that uh, that grace that he had. We're joined, by the way, uh, by uh, Mr. Kevin Campbell. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kevin. Nice uh, to have you here. Uh, Kevin, we want to chat to you uh, about uh, David Rocastle. I know that you uh, you chatted to Amy uh, for the article for The Athletic. Um, before we do, uh, there's some housekeeping. Uh, I have to tell the listeners that they can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription just for listening to this podcast. You will enjoy Great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to take advantage of this 40% discount. It's also a great way for you to support the podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Um, Kevin, I don't know how much you heard. Is there any particular goal you remember when you were on the pitch and you saw him do something? We've, we've had Manchester United and we've had Tottenham, by the way. <laughs> Obviously, the goal at Old Trafford was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially the calibre of player he was playing against, Brad Robson and Paul Lintz in the midfield. And he just walked past them like they were, they were not there. Um, the the goal at Spurs was fantastic. But you know what? I, I think Rocky scored a goal at Villa where it wasn't where he had to beat anybody or anything like that. It was the law. He loved the goalkeeper. He took a touch and he loved the goalkeeper. And I think Derek Mountfield was trying to clear the ball. <laughs> he got just... tanked. He, got he had to hold on to the net and he got tangled up into the net. <laughs> it was a brilliant, It was absolutely a brilliant goal. And, uh, you know, you could just see the joy on Rocky's face when he turns away and like, you know, did you see him try to stop it? Like, it was brilliant. Kev, so the reason uh, that we're we're talking about Rocky, of course, is uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of his death. And as I said, Amy has written this rather beautiful uh, article for The Athletic uh, about Rocky. Um, let's talk about him. You were around the same time. Who was at Arsenal first? He will be there first as a schoolboy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm lucky enough that the school I went to, Michael Thomas went to the same school. And Michael Thomas is three years older than me. So when Michael Thomas is going to Arsenal, obviously he's in the same age group as Rocky. I'm coming up and they're hearing this, this kid's coming up. And I remember being at London Colney, where, what we used to do in the summer holidays. You just go to London Colney and play games. And these boys were in the youth team at the time. And that's the kind of the first time I, I got to know Rocky or met him because the youngsters will come through and watch the, the, the schoolboys play. And Mickey obviously told him that's the kid who was at my school, he goes to my, my old school. And Rocky and all the boys used to come over and watch the game and I used to talk to them. So that was our first connection. And, and when, when you meet Rocky, it's, it's as though you've known him all your life. That, it was so easy. He was like a, he was such a nice person. He was so warm, had a warm, such a warm smile. 
and was, you know, was Arsenal through and through. And uh, he, he made me feel so, so, so welcome in his company. And then obviously a sign as a, as a white yes the next year. And I just want to be around them, like, you know what I mean? I'm the young kid. And you've got Paul Davis, South London, Michael Thomas, um, Rocky, the South London boys, Gussie, Chuck Gussie's as a North London boy in that. You know, all the brothers and you're thinking, I, I just want to be around them. <laughs> and, and they start hitting the first team. And then Rocky turns around to me one day and says, Rambo, you know, you're coming. You are coming. And I'm going to let everybody know that you're coming. And you think to yourself, is he, is he for real? I'm Kevin Campbell. I'm like a kid from Brixton. And you're telling, you're telling season pros about me. It was like a, such, a, such a crazy moment in my life because nobody had ever, no player had ever done that to me. Amy, that, that thing that Kevin was just talking about there, that, that, that a moment that Kevin can talk about now with such clarity, whatever it is, 30 years later, um, it seems that Rocky had that effect on almost everyone, certainly from the piece. That's what came across. Yeah, and I think um, it's so difficult to find the right words, but you know, Kev was so true when he alludes to this sense that when you're around him, you just feel better. He's a guy who had a fantastic natural ability to disarm anyone uh, with his with his natural charm and warmth that just shone out of him. He was so kind and generous and funny and always had time for people and. I love the stories that came from those early days at Highbury where, you know, he would go and hang out with Ethel in the laundry room and go and get a cup of tea from Maureen and biscuits and sit in the office until George Graham eventually came in and said, haven't you got guys got homes to go to? And I think it was a different era. I mean, it's almost unimaginable in today's modern football world that the professionals, the first team players, if you can imagine you know, uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette after training, just going to the ground and not like, hanging out with the box office staff and having coffees and chats and and so on, or maybe going down the pub. And they used they used to know all the little local shops. That it's a you know, it's a real community feel around around the ground and uh, whether it's the fish bar or whether it was the sweet shop. And they would be in and out of all those places, coming in on the train or, or you know. And when he became, you know. Pr- probably the most loved first team player at the club rocky would still go into all those shops and cafes and uh, uh what have you and say hi to everyone and make sure everyone was okay he just had this magic where he wa- he just wanted to be around people and make them feel good yeah i mean i'm just i'm trying to imagine uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang turned up before the game to sit with people, but he wouldn't be there in time, I guess. Um, Nick, uh, do you remember the first time you saw him play? No, I don't, because I've got a, a terrible memory. memory but I seem yes. to remember it. It was around that sort of 86, 87, 85 time. And just remember the thing, anyone who wore a number seven for me always caught my attention because Liam Brady had been my hero growing up. And you, I thought, wow, you're, you're brave to wear number seven for the Arsenal if you're going to think you're going to be anywhere near as as good as Liam Brady. But, of course, a completely different sort of player. But in some ways, he was as good because he could do it all. He could do things that, that Liam Brady couldn't do. And, you know, they had different qualities. But um, I, I only met the guy once. And it was, I was just reminiscing earlier because Amy did one of her great books, which was called Proud to Say That Name, which was sort of uh, stories about Arsenal told through her greatest Arsenal eleven. I think Rocky was one of them. 
and she had a little sort of launch party at the stadium. I think it was in the old Arsenal Museum. And afterwards, I just managed to somehow tag along to sort of with the with the group, and we went to this Italian restaurant in uh, Blackstock Road. And Rocky was there. I mean, it's only been a few years, a couple of years before. I've been cheering him on in the Park Lane when that when they won that semi final against Tottenham. And as everyone's saying, Kev and and Amy, he just what a really nice bloke. He just spoke to you as if he was just just a fellow Arsenal fan, or just a mate, or just a just a normal sort of guy. Really charming, beautiful smile. And even though he could probably sense you're sitting there, this guy's sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, I'm talking to David Rocastle." <laughs> just put you at your ease, and uh, yeah. we just. Such a lovely guy, and I mean, I think it's something I'd like to ask. I don't want to sort of dictate the tone of the conversation, but what Kev can say, what the reaction was when he left, because I remember I was on holiday in Cyprus that summer of 1992, and my holiday was ruined. I just saw some bloke sitting by the swimming pool with a headline: "Rocky signs for Leeds, two million pounds," or something like that. And you know, if you remember, we're going abroad. You had no internet or telephones and things like that, and. It, people would spend like five pounds buying a copy of The Sun or The Mirror just to sort of get a football <laughs> result from a week Four ago. Days old. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And there was this headline that George Graham had done such great things for Arthur and suddenly sold Rocky to Leeds of all clubs. And, uh, oh, well, I mean, and, and, and Amy tells a great bit in the story about Lynn, uh, Lynn Cheney at Arsenal and Rocky sort of crying, hugging each other in Avenal Road, looking up at the office with George looking down. It's an incredible image. And, well, um, hang on, I, hang on, a, hang on a I second, will, Nick. I will hang on because I, I, I obviously want to get to that, but I just want to talk about a little bit more about the time when he was at Arsenal. I, particularly, Kev, I want to ask you. I mean, essentially, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, we've had a few warriors in that team over the years, right? Uh, Tony Adams, obviously, being one. The whole defence, to be honest, but. Rocky sort of embodied that, didn't he, really? And and what's it like to play with a guy who's got that fighting spirit? Do you know, the, the, the funny thing about Rocky, and a lot of people, you know, they, they hear, you know, the nicknames, you know, he was Silky Skills, he, had, he called him the South London Brazilian, you know, in training, where everybody could have free play and Rocky could only have two touches or else you'd never get the ball off him. You know, that type of thing. All that was Rocky. But actually... Rocky was more of a warrior <laughs> out on the pitch than people ever gave him credit for. And I don't know if, it, if a lot of people watched the 89 video and you, you actually see some of the challenges that happened in that game. You know, I had the privilege of getting picked up at five o'clock in the morning with David Rollcastle, going to the ground. He put, me and Rocky are putting the skips on for that game on the coach. And then six o'clock in the morning on the way back, we're taking the skips off the coach. And the only time he changed his, his, his mindset was when he got on the pitch. And you could see him driving the team on, you know, pumping his fist, come on, let's get stuck in, all that type of thing. That's what Rocky was. Rocky was a, he was a South London boy, brought up tough. It's true. And, it's true. and you know, he, 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 he embodied... I think Rodgers was the leader, 100%, but you also need lieutenants with you out there who do it a different way. Rocky was the next one. He definitely done it a different way. For the uninitiated, Rodgers was, of course, Tony Adams. Tony uh, Adams, uh, yeah. <laughs> named after <laughs> Rodney from Only Fools <laughs> and Horses. Yeah. Sorry, no, no, Rodgers, it's okay. Yeah. Tony Adams. <laughs> Just following on from that, uh, I was lucky enough to chat with Rocky a few years 
ago about uh, the game at Old Trafford, which ended up in the famous brawl, um, which some of you will remember. If not, look it up. Uh, where there was a bit of <laughs> a bit watching. of history, a little bit of needle, and it all went absolutely explosive when Brian McClare launched himself at Nigel Winterburn, who was on the floor and started kicking him. And I think Rocky was first on the scene, and uh, then before long, there's 21 players all uh, all getting involved, and it ended up with Arsenal being docked two points and Manchester United one, which again, uh, for those of you who remember, uh, just turned into a great song when Arsenal won the league anyhow, and uh, it <laughs> was time to tell the FA where to stick their two points. Anyway, um, but Rocky talked about that because he was first one in there, and it was like. You know, my brother, my, my teammate needed help on there. And he came out with such a great line where he said, you know, we, we all fought for each other at Arsenal and we never started any brawls. We just finished them. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Nick, as Kev said, the guy was brought up on a South, South London council estate. I mean, this is a tough upbringing. You know, his dad died very young. And um, and so he was a product of his environment. But again, uh, Amy, you mentioned this in the article, actually, that 55th minute or whatever it was at Anfield in 89, where a young guy, 21 years old, waves his fist at people saying, come on, we can do this. Um, inspiring stuff, Nick, yes? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was only, I think, a, a year younger than, than me, Rocky. So I sort of could you just relate to some of your, the same age, sort of fulfilling your sort of dreams playing out on the pitch for Arsenal. And he's such, a, such an inspirational player. And you just picture him with that 
that that sort of fist clenched and said, "Come on!" And just like like Super Kev said, you know, just driving the team on, almost like a sort of a, a deputy vice captain to Tony Adams. And when the chips were down, you could always look to players like him and Mickey Thomas, and then later Kev as well to really sort of get Arsenal out of holes. And you know, the one nil down, two one up was from that era. You never ever worried if Arsenal were losing a match at that time, and it was because of that sheer sort of tenacity and will to win and character. And I don't know why it is that they all came from South London that lot. I'm glad that Kevin went to the same school as Mickey Thomas. I don't know why he's <laughs> in the water and, and writing and so on. It just it's, it seems to me bizarre that so many good Arsenal players come, you know, North London club now came from South London. I mean, what was in the water down there, Kev? Well, <laughs> Kev, that's an interesting, <laughs> Kev, that's an interesting point, actually. That's an interesting point, isn't it? That Do you think that sort of stuff will ever happen again in football, that you've got kids growing up on the same estate, ending up in the first team at a major club like Arsenal? Well, I, I'd like to think so, because I think there's a lot of talent out there. And when you, when you, when you actually break it down, because South London is such a hotbed of football, Arsenal had a big scouting network across there. And once you get one, once you get, once you get Paul Davis in, then obviously you're looking, okay, who's next? And then you get Michael Thomas and Dave Rowcastle, you know, and then it was myself and David Hillier came in. You know, that's the, that's the conveyor belt that, that, that tends to go on because we're hungry, we're Arsenal fans, and um, we, we, we love the club. And having a manager to give that type of youth opportunity that, that's what it takes. And we're seeing it now with Mikel Arteta, with, with uh, the Croydon De Bruyne, Emil Smith-Rowe. <laughs> yes. Well, well, that would be great if it went the same way as you guys and, and, and their, their effect on the Arsenal. Nick, um, I know you wanted to talk about uh, that time when Rocky uh, left. Uh, Amy, in your piece... Um, you, you talk about that, and Nick mentioned the fact that uh, stand. Who was it? Joe was it from the box office standing in the street? It was Lynn who, uh, yeah, Lynn from the box yeah. office standing in the street, glaring at George Graham for for selling him. But you know, his knee was not good. Of course, he meant a lot to us fans, but it, it was a it was a practical, pragmatic decision, right? I mean, George Graham was a famously ruthless manager, and I think that he felt it was a uh, a bit of a no-brainer in terms of the head ruling the heart. I think had he listened to his heart over his head, he would have found it very, very difficult, but he almost didn't allow himself to do that. Uh, and in later years, as time has gone by, George has, um, has said, really, that he found it one of the saddest things he ever had to do in football. I don't think he wanted to, but I think he felt he had to, which probably wasn't much consolation at the time because everyone was absolutely distraught. I mean, Kevin, how were you at that? Rocky, he's, Rocky Rowcastle is now has left the Arsenal. I mean, well, I don't know if you know this, but um, when when that happened, I mean, everyone was stunned. We were all shocked because Rocky's one of us, and he's he's the glue he's the glue in the dressing room where everybody loves Rocky. And when it came about, I think there was a couple of days where you could sense the atmosphere wasn't right, and. Um, you know, George Graham was—he's a smart manager, and I remember we had a we had a team meeting, and uh, you know, clear the air because Rocky was such an important part of our squad, and now he wasn't there, and there was quite a few people who weren't weren't happy with George, and I was one of them, and um, George had to not not really not not 
explain himself, but he just had to say, listen, guys, this is football and football's a business as well. And, um, you know, this, this won't be the first time or the last time this happens. So, you know, guys, we've got to get on with it. And that didn't appease us, but we understood. But we just, we just wanted to vent a little bit of anger at him because, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a brother who we'd, he we'd sold. Yeah. Uh, Nick, amongst the fan base, um, I, I mean, I, I remember being really quite upset when it happened. And Amy, reading your piece today, it really brought a lot of it back to me. Uh, Nick, do you remember that, that time? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I said earlier, I was on holiday and seeing it on the back page of, of a paper, it absolutely ruined my holiday. And it ruined, it just, it, it devastated. You know, I can imagine how Kevin, the Arsenal players, felt losing, as I said, you know, one of their one of their brothers. And for as, us as fans, it was like, well, we're just selling our best player. We know he'd had the injury, but he'd come back. He'd still played a lot of games that, that last season. And I know Leeds played a... Two million quid, which was a record signing for them. I don't know where it fitted into the scheme of things at Arsenal. It's good business, good money, but to sell to sell Rocky Rowcastle, it just took a long time to get over. And I know, obviously, the next season, ninety two, ninety three, did the cup double. Ninety four was the the cup winners' cup. So the trophy still came in, but there was a decline in the league form from that Arsenal team after after Rocky left. And I I just wonder if because he was such a strong character in the dressing room, and obviously and the training ground as well, that a bit of that glue in the team and the whole sort of fabric of the squad left when George sold him. So even though it was a practical decision and good money and, you know, sadly David never reproduced his form for Arsenal when he moved on to Leeds and Chelsea and Man City, that it was actually, it would have been better off keeping him anyway, just for the good of the whole team spirit. Well, maybe, Amy. I mean, Amy, as Nick just said, that you know, we followed it up with winning cup doubles and the Cup Winners' Cup. So that spirit was still there. And maybe, you know, a bit, I mean, a bit of Rocky remained in the spirit of the team. I think a bit of Rocky always remains. I think as long as Arsenal's going as an institution, Rocky's there. He's part of it. Uh, I'm looking at the quote now. Remember who you are, what you are, and who you represent. Uh, attributed uh, to David Rokas, and people still speak about that uh, 30 years later. Kev, one more before we we stop talking about this particular thing. Um, you said he was the glue, um, and as as I just said to Amy, we did recover and we did move on. But he, it felt like he sort of understood the essence of Arsenal and he passed that understanding on to the rest of the team. It was definitely, you know, as a young player coming through and you, you get somebody like Rocky, you, you can't help but be influenced by the way he is and what he does and the way he does it. When he went, it, it, it wasn't the same. Although, you know, we're professional and we, we, we get on with it and you, you, you push forward, you were missing a key component because a lot of the time it's the silent component in the dressing room that you don't that you can't legislate for. The the shouting and chatting and that 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 will to win is always there, but that silent connectivity that Rocky brought, like you mentioned before, you know the glue, it, it just wasn't the same. And uh, you, you you win because you're Arsenal. That's how we you know that's how we're raised. But it was never the same. Honestly, it wasn't the same. Thomas playing it to Rowcastle. It struck, oh, a fabulous goal by Rowcastle. 
And there indeed is the equaliser. What a fabulous strike by David Rocastle. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm here with Amy Lawrence, Nick Callow and uh, Kevin Campbell. Uh, we've been talking uh, about Rocky Rowcastle. Uh, Kevin, we also have a, a game called a Random Arse Generator, which we'd like you to stay around for, if that's OK, um, where we come up with the name of a player and uh, we just get various memories uh, of them. Uh, as Amy uh, Lawrence asked me before we started, this, this player is related to that era. Uh, it's Anders Limpa is our random Arsenal player. Uh, Kevin, I'll start with you. Just give us a, um, a random memory of Anders Limpa. Random memory was the first time I, we actually saw Anders as a, as a team and we were doing 1v1s, uh, 1v1s, 2v2s. Um, against the defence. So, basically, you, you each get numbers. George Graham calls a number and you, he throws the ball out, you rush out and the defender's got a number as well. So, the defenders have to come out 1v1 or he calls two numbers and you go out 2v2 and you play against each other. Forwards have to try and score. Defenders have to try and defend. And Anders gets called out 1v1 with, I think it was Steve Bowl. <laughs> and, you know, Steve Bowl goes out there. Yeah, good defender, Boldy. Very good defender. Anders just torched him. I mean, he, he, he dropped a dummy here and there and went by him and put it in the bottom corner and was like, whoa. So, you know, two numbers get called out. Anders was in the two, both numbers and he played a one-two, went around Tony Adams and stuck it in the bottom corner and we were like, whoa. And you could see Rodgers and Boldy like, he's going to get it. <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday. Beautiful. Amy, Anders Limpa. Uh, I'm going to go back to um, Old Trafford again. And uh, oh, he was just, he was so brilliant when it, that first season he came and he was a real instant hit. And what's difficult to understand about, um, yeah, f f about how football was then compared to now is how you could sign a player and really not know anything much about them and not have that much access to information about them. So even though he was an international and he left his homeland of Sweden and already been playing in Serie A, um, by the time Arsenal bought him. There was still a lot of people who didn't know much about him. There were certainly no YouTube clips. Um, so it was a bit of a challenge to know exactly what you were getting. And he tur turned up in pre-season and Arsenal played in the Makita International Tournament at Wembley, as it was called then. He scored an absolute screamer from a narrow angle and everyone looked at each other and thought, oh, this one's got, some got something about him. With that light feet he had, it seemed like he was almost dancing on his tiptoes sometimes, Anders. And uh, he had an exceptional season uh, as Arsenal won the league in 1991. But one of the, 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 game, at, the game at Old Trafford, which, uh, which, which Arsenal won 1-0, which was the brawl game previously mentioned, uh, he scored a sort of impish goal from a very, very tight angle. Again, as you were mentioning, Stoney, it was right in front of the Arsenal fans away from home. And that lower tier terrace was electric um such a and rubbish place to stand the as other, well. really yeah rubbish. but the other thing and everything i can't remember who t who t it might have been lee who told us this but when the brawl happened Anders was not kev will say he probably was one of the scrawnier members of the team i mean he's quite <laughs> small and quite slight by the standards of sort of a athletic footballers of the time and apparently he landed an absolute blinder of a right hook 
uh, in the fight. <laughs> I can't remember. I'll have to go back and check the video. But we'll yeah. go for that game because it had a little bit of everything in it from Anders. Impudence is, oh, you said impish, but impudence works, doesn't it, really? It's just an amazing, amazing goal. Um, Nick, what about you? Memories of Anders yeah. Limpa? Well, I remember it just being a bit of a surprise to sign a Swedish player. I mean, there were very few sort of non-English British players at the club at the time. And I was a bit worried when he came in thinking, is this going to upset things? Obviously, it didn't upset things at all. It just added to the whole sort of aura about Arsenal. He won the league, of course, in, in 91. And he replaced Brian Marwood on the wing. who had been so good in that 89 season. and Also quick I think as well. Also, yeah. And uh, I just wonder, you know, someone like Olivia Giroud would probably score about 1,000 goals for Arsenal if he had Anders Limpar supplying him from the wing. But do you remember that goal he scored? I think it was against Liverpool from the halfway line, which was about, ah, it was yes. early 90s, yeah. well, 91, yeah. 92. Was it 92? Yeah. And that was, um, people didn't really shoot from the halfway line much in those days, but he did. He had that sort of self-confidence to do it and he caught the keeper off his line and, and scored. It's just a beautiful, beautiful goal. And I, another thing that I remember somewhere in this is that when he retired and he opened up a bar, I think, in Sweden, which he called the Limp Bar. Of course he did. I don't know. I, don't know. I went I don't know. there actually <laughs> once. Have you been yeah, there? Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was he there? No, but ah. it was all right. It was pretty good. By the way, uh, didn't he score an amazing goal in a game where Wright got a hat-trick and no one rem- Was that the... Uh, Wright got a hat-trick, but he got one from 40 yards. That was Kev. That was Kev's goal. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't, no. It you, got, got you got the hat trick. You got the hat trick. Yeah. Oh, I got that completely wrong. Well, here's the thing. It's all right because I've got the match ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, fair enough. Um, I'm reading something here because uh, I did get prior notice about this. And I, I just found this so funny. A 2012 interview that Anders Limpard did with Afton Bladet TV, where he said that playing for Jules Graham was like living in Iraq under Saddam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's... Well, Kev, you played for Jules Graham. Uh, not that you lived in Iraq under Saddam, so it's hard to compare. But um, did it feel a bit like that sometimes? Uh, at, at times, yeah, it can be it can be difficult. But George Graham told he told us from day one. He said, "Look, if I'm going to make you uh, challenge that, that team on Merseyside, we're going to have to work, and we're going to we're going to work so hard. And anybody who is not in 100%, come and see me, and I'll get you out of the club." That's what he said on day one. So. Bringing the likes of Anders in, and Anders is like, wow, what's going on here? This is just the way things are done. Well, just kind of related to that, um, I remember going to a game when Arsenal were in the Cup Winners' Cup uh, in the, the season that, that we won it, and there was a game uh, against Torino, and Anders wasn't playing. I think it was coming to the time where he, he was quite soon gone. And for some reason, myself and my mate Eugene, who crops up with quite a lot of these podcasts, because this was always around when we were up to scrapes going around watching the Arsenal in those days we were in we were we found ourselves somewhere where the players were and Anders was in his suit well because he was uh, an unused member of the team and we had a chat with him and he was really sad and really down we were trying to perk him up a bit because he felt I think a bit uh, marginalized by George towards you know they obviously didn't really see eye to eye but I think it reached that point where yeah, everyone recognises the tail end of the George Graham era. There was this change stylistically, partly because, you know, George was obsessed by winning. And when Ian Wright came in, he knew he had this formula where if the defending 
the one nil to the Arsenal style was up to scratch, which it nearly always was. Righty could get you something out of nothing nearly all the time. So it made it more difficult for whether it was Rocky, whether it was Anders, for those players who had who had a bit more maverick about them. Uh, I think he was more trusting of like controlling the game and then nicking stuff. Um, but Anders, you know, it, he, he his stay was was not as long as it could have been at Arsenal because of the way that the, the team was changing. But he was an absolutely stellar talent. And uh, you talk about him being Swedish as well before. Do you, anyone remember he was half Swedish and half something else? Anyone get it without cheating? <laughs> no. no. He was half Hungarian. <laughs> was he? There you go. So I think there was this bit where... That's so of, you. That is so Scan- you knowing well, that. But the thing is, a lot of Scandinavians have the have the reputation for being, you know, a little bit more reserved. And he had a he had a bit of hot temper about him, Anders. And I think that was George used to always think that was his Hungarian side. He liked to stew, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kevin, any more Anders memories? Did you know the the interesting one was um, the last game of the season against Coventry at, at Highbury? where we won the title against Man United and that was the last game of the season. Anders finished up with a hat-trick in the dressing room after the game. Him and George Graham still had an argument after the game. <laughs> Could you believe that? He gets a hat-trick, we win six and George Graham's still having a guy in because he did track somebody. George was just crazy. He was crazy. Fabulous. Fabulous. Nick, one more memory before we have a song? Well, it's not so much a memory that I have, but I seem to remember Lee Dixon telling quite an amazing story about how Anders Limpar was tricked into thinking he had travelled in time. Some Swedish <laughs> Frank, sort of Jeremy Beadle type. Who is it? We were talking to. Remember, we were talking about Stefan Schwartz the other the week, talking about travel, being a wanted to be an astronaut and travelling into space. But Anders Limpar was put onto. I think the story, but Anders Limpar was put onto some plane with a, with a mate, a private jet and they're just travelling internally in, in Sweden somewhere and they were approached, they were given some newspaper, sort of fake headline about time travel has been invented and there was some sort of scientist guy said, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? They've invented <laughs> time travel and apparently the, the plane dips and they said, oh, it's all part of an experiment and they landed in Gothenburg Airport for want of a better and they had the whole setup there where he genuinely thought he had travelled two years forward ahead in time and there was his girlfriend there with the dog had got bigger and all sorts of amazing things. And then Jeremy, the Swedish Jeremy Beadle pops out. I'd love to look it up and see where the video, see it, what it's like. And reveals that actually he, he's still in 1997 or whenever it was. It's not a memory of mine, but it's Lee, Lee Dixon. <laughs> we have had some random facts about random players on this podcast, but that one is definitely out there. I don't think we can top that. Um, let's have a song. Let's have a song. I say we've been talking about Rocky and we've talked about Anders Limpar. Let's have a song from each of you. Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. Can, can I just ask Kev, because I was thinking about this, because apparently I was, I was chatting to uh, Rocky's family this week and they talked about how much he loved music and how one of their memories of him growing up was that there was always music on and he was so into his music. And um, I wondered if there's a song that you particularly remember him loving or that you would associate with him. There was quite a, there was quite a few um, songs. I, I remember tra- traveling to the ground in '89, and uh, after he picked me up at, at Brixton Town Hall, and you know, Three Little Birds, Bob Marley. That was he picked 
picked me up and that was playing in his car. And we, we always, windows were wound down and we were singing away. You won't, you won't believe he's got a, a, a big title decider at Anfield in the, in the evening. He was just so carefree. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Brilliant. And, and what a song. What a song. Bob Marley, Three Little Birds. Do you know what? I, I mean, we maybe all come up with songs, but I'm happy with that one, aren't you guys? Me too. I, yeah, I'd almost too. like the, to have something that he would have wanted, so I think let's do well, that today. We'll go We'll go with that. Um, I, I must reiterate, read Amy's piece uh, about Rocky uh, in The Athletic. It's uh, it's really, really lovely and, and very sad, but also uplifting when you see the, the positive effect he had on so many people. It's a great piece, Amy. Um, thanks to Amy Lawrence. Thank you to Nick Callow. And special thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast uh, to talk about his friend uh, and teammate, David Rocastle, uh, Kevin Campbell. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks to Adonis as well, our producer today for for looking after us. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See you soon. Athletic.